We're in a community, right? We talk about community and what do we mean? Last week we talked about Christ and Christ is central to everything we are. And if not, then we need to repent of that. We've left our first love. We need to get back in in alignment with who he is. He's our head. Uh, The reason we do what we do and the reason we exist and all the different aspects as believers is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the Lord and we talk about walking with him, he is central to everything. Amen? Well, we've been called into community. We've been called into community. And every, every community is a little bit unique. It's different. There's certain foundational thoughts, though, for the church, the body of Christ, the community of the body. Uh, there's the overall community in the sense of the worldwide church, but there's also individual local communities, and, and each uh, local community is, is unique. But there are certain things that undergird who we are, and I just want to take some time this morning to remind us of that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever moved into a new community and have had to learn some of the nuances. Have you ever done that? I remember when uh, we moved from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, into Reading, Pennsylvania, into a place, uh, subdivision of Reading called Wyomissing, Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. And I can remember moving in there, and uh, <laughs> it was quite a transition because uh, it was a little different than Philly, a little different from uh, the city of brotherly love where I got into fights almost every day down there. And all of a sudden, here I am out in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and why I'm missing. And everybody was uh, just kind of, it was that subculture, and you had to kind of learn how to fit in. You had to figure it out. You had to kind of get with people and find out what is it that, and they talked a little bit differently. You know, they, they said certain things that I thought sounded hick, and then I found myself start, starting to say those kind of things, and it kind of like, what am I doing? And, but to fit in, that's kind of what you did, right? And I remember after being there for a few months, uh, somebody came up to me, one of my friends, and uh, he said, now, Eric... He said, it's almost Christmas time. And he said, you know, we do something special as a community. Now, granted, I'm in eighth grade. And this kid's coming up to me talking about Christmas decorations in the community uh, in eighth grade. And so I kind of looked at him like, are you kidding me? You know, like you decorate your tree? What do you do? He said, well, on our street, because I lived on a specific street and why I'm missing. He said, everybody puts candles in their windows. It's a tradition. Everybody does this. And, and, and then he said this, my mom told me to make sure that I tell you to tell your mom that that needs to happen. <laughs> Eighth grade. I mean, look, there's, <laughs> there's nuance there. And I learned a couple things about our community real quick, you know. Uh, it's kind of like, well, are you going to talk to my face? Are you going to talk behind my back? Or what are you doing here? I mean, it's kind of interesting. You know, everybody's, everybody's got a unique community experience. And there's all kinds of different communities that we talk about and all kinds of different ways that, that we share about it. But I want to talk about the community of the church, the body of Christ, and just the undergirding realities. G.K. Chesterton uh, made a statement here that I think is so Uh, interesting when it comes to community and when you think about a community of a body of believers. I think this is very relevant. He says, the man who lives in a small community lives in a much larger world. The reason is obvious. In a large community, we can choose our companions. In a small community, our companions are chosen for us. Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. (laughs) That's beautiful, isn't it? Come on now. (laughs) Often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. 
Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. Think about that. Christ is the one that forms it, folks. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that orchestrates it, coordinates it, solidifies it, undergirds it, strengthens it, makes it healthy. None of us have health apart from Christ, and that's why we start out with Christ. If we're not focused on him and we're not walking with him, if we're not uh, simply yielding our lives to him, being empowered by him, if love isn't something that is flowing through our lives, then I don't care what the interest is that brought you together. We're not talking about the church community. We're talking about uh, a clique of some kind, a club. It takes grace to bring people together in a way where true fellowship and community from a biblical perspective takes place. In our day and age, one of the challenges we've got is when we say church, people think of a building. And Chuck Colson makes this statement. He says, Christians need to change our whole vocabulary. We can't talk about the church as a building or a place we go. The word used in the New Testament for the church is ekklesia, the same word used in the Greek Old Testament as the assembly of God's people, the assembly of God's people. We are the church. See, when we think about church and we think about gathering together corporately, this is the church body gathered together. We have a building that we're able to meet at, praise God. We have a place that we can say, hey, let's go and fellowship there, praise God. But when we come together, we are the church, we are the community, we are the gathering of believers at Hoffmantown at this place. And when you think about that and you begin to think of the uniquenesses, uh, there's uniquenesses church to church. But then there's those undergirding foundational truths. And I could go on and on about this, but the church is the family of God. Think about that. We're a family we're believers. We're called out of the world. That's what ecclesia means, to be called out. We're called out of the world into relationship with the Lord and one another. You catch that? The church is the family of God. Believers called out of the world into relationship with the Lord and one another. And there are certain foundational things, and I'm not going to take time to go through all of it because we could do a whole series for months on this. But Christ is our leader. That undergirds everything that we are. Christ is our leader. He's the Lord. In other words, he's in charge. What he says goes. And how does he speak? Through his word. How do we know? Because the Holy Spirit begins to use the word of God to impress upon us, teach us, guide us. He sometimes uses circumstances, uses other godly people, etc. But the point of the matter is the Lord is in charge. He's our leader. You know, the other interesting thing about church as believers, here's something that's true across the board. Every one of us have a testimony. Every one of us have a testimony. We have something to share about how God met with us, how we were saved. Now think about that. That's unique. We all have a common experience in that we were separated from Christ, we were separated from God, we were sinners, we were estranged, we were in darkness, we were slaves to, un, uh, to uh, unrighteousness. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to be saved, to be brought near, to be citizens of God, to be part of his family. We all have a testimony. We all have a witness. And not only can we encourage one another with that, but we have an opportunity to share with the lost what it is that God's done for us and how God desires to do that for them as well. 
That binds us together, folks, in an amazing way. We all have common ground in that. We all need the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Well, we worship together, right? And I'm not talking about music. I love music, but you can have the greatest music in the world and you have no worship. Hopefully, music becomes a vehicle to lead us to the throne so that our hearts are yielded to Christ and we begin to worship the Lord. And when we worship, what we're saying is we learn to die to self and to glorify God for who he truly is. We worship together, we certainly should. We're called the children of God. The children of God. We're a family. And when you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are automatically placed into a community called the church where you got a whole lot of brothers and sisters, praise the Lord. Some of them are a little bit older than you. Some are a little bit wider than you. Some are a little bit taller than you, right? Some of them may be a little bit further down the road in terms of maturity. Maybe an older brother, older sister. But the truth of the matter is you got a family. And you know the beauty of it is that as dysfunctional as this world is, We get called into the community of the church, the body of Christ, the functional family of God. Now, that doesn't mean we we don't have our problems. It doesn't mean that we don't trip. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble. We know that we do. But we know we have a God who's our father, and he's good. And we just sang about it. Amen? We're called children of God. Well, we all ought to be disciples. We should be learning and growing in our faith. That ought to be without say. And sometimes people draw lines for the Lord and they say, well, I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't feel like going any further. But all of us ought to be constantly walking with the Lord. We ought to constantly be following God. We ought to recognize that this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. And as a result, we're following God and everything. And we are simply yielding our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living sacrifices. And every opportunity that avails, we are saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. No matter what it is. We're disciples. We're willing learners from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not only that but we're all equal in value in Christ. Isn't that beautiful to think about? There's no big eyes and little eyes at the cross. We're all equal in value before the Lord. We may have different roles, praise the Lord. God's orchestrated his body in a certain way. But the fact of the matter is we're all equal in value and we can rejoice in that. We can be thankful for that. Not only that, we've all been gifted in some way by the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about talents. Although talents are there, I'm talking about spiritual gifts. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He is a down payment of the promise that God has given to us to make sure that we know absolutely that heaven is our home. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And the Bible teaches us that every one of us as believers have at least one spiritual gift in order to serve the body of Christ. Praise God for that. Think about that. All of us have at least one gift. That's a common ground moment. We're all indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are all assured heaven. Do you realize that when we get into tiffs and taffs, and we do that all the time sometimes and unfortunately, but the reality of it is we're going to spend heaven uh, together. (laughs) Think about that. Get it straight here because you're going to spend eternity together. 
We're a family of God. We're children. We're assured heaven. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and God uh, saves us and then we become his children, we become part of his family, guess what? We're going to spend heaven together. And that's a common arena for each and every one of us. Well, we're to love God. We're to love one another. We're to proclaim the gospel, making disciples. That goes without say. That's for every believer. We should be of one mind in Christ together. In other words, we get into the word of God and the main things are the main things. And if, if we differ on some of the things that are secondary, we trust the Lord to make that known to us and clear to us when it's necessary, but we continue to love one another in the midst of it. But there are certain things that are absolute. We ought to be of one mind in Christ uh, together and we certainly ought to be forgiving one another. Amen? We forgive. And folks, when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about, uh, well, this person didn't come to me and say what they were supposed to say. You know, I love what Jesus did at the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The immediate attitude is, Lord, you know, and you forgave me. It's all good. It's all good. Now, reconciliation, walking together, all that kind of stuff. Those are whole different stories. But the attitude, the attitude ought to be one of yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord forgave me, so I'm willing to forgive everybody. And Christ in me will empower me to do that very thing. Those are all common grounds. I'm sure there's many, many more we could walk through in a snapshot kind of way. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is such a beautiful picture of the body of Christ Paul, in writing to the Ephesian believers, he says this, there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, one, 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 one. <laughs> if you didn't get it, read it over. One, we're one in Christ, and the opportunity to walk together in the Lord is amazing. And then the very next verse, he starts out his statement. He says, but to each one of us. And I love that. In other words, we become a part of the body of Christ, but we don't lose the unique individuality of who we are. In fact, I would suggest that when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we actually are becoming even more so what God had already originally planned for us. Our personality is actually even more fulfilled and all the different factors of what makes you, you becomes even greater because Christ in you empowers you to be the very thing that he created you to be. You don't lose your individuality coming into the body of Christ. We're not just a, a bunch of mind-numbed robots walking around. Hey, everybody's equal, everybody's the same, everybody's this, and no. Listen, we're all individuals, and we all have talents, and we all have different gifting, and we all have different life experiences, and you put that all together into the body of Christ, into the church, and you get some kind of community, don't you? It's amazing to watch, amazing. Well, let me give you four things that undergird our community as a church body. These are pretty obvious, but as Peter said, it's no problem for me to remind you a second time of these things. And so if it's good enough for Peter, it's good enough for us. But a family of grace, we're a family of grace, we're a family of faith, we're a family of hope, we're a family of love. Folks, 
We are a family of grace, a family of faith, a family of hope, a family of love. Well, first of all, grace. I I tell you what, there's nobody who is a believer, who is a part of the community of the church, the body of Christ, that deserves to be a part. Not one. Not one of us can say, look what I did in order to get the badge, in order to enter through that door. Not one of us. We didn't earn it, we can't earn it, and we can't pay God back for it. It's by grace. Salvation is by grace. In other words, it's what God has done for us. It's unmerited, it's undeserved, and it can't be paid back. It's something God has accomplished on our behalf. What do we have to do? We have to receive it. We have to receive it. So salvation is by grace, and as a community of believers, all of us have that in common. We haven't earned any type of position with God. We can't pay God back for it. Everything that God has done for us and that we've received by faith in Christ is as a result of grace. And by the way, when you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and God has saved you and you have been transformed or being transformed, now you're walking with God, you're a child of God and all the different aspects of what it means to be a believer. God is constantly at work in your life to conform you to his image. What a beautiful truth that is. Peter affirmed this as did the Apostle Paul, both of our apostles, in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, where Peter was defending grace because of the Gentiles and the Jews and the issue that had taken place with Paul. And so they came to Jerusalem, they gathered together, they had this huge meeting. There was one group that said, well, you got to do these things in order to get saved. And there was another group that said, well, maybe they're saved, but now they've got to do things in order to prove it. And both Peter and Paul said, absolutely not. Salvation is by grace. It's not by works. You don't have to prove that what God said he would do, he actually did. It's not on the foundation of works. And you don't have to do works in order to get saved. It's by grace. And Peter says in Acts 15, 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way, meaning the Jews, as they also are, meaning the Gentiles. Or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know this well, for by grace, this is Paul, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, meaning salvation is a gift of God. It's not as a result of works so that no one may, what? Boast. Wow, there's nobody that can boast. Look at all I've done. Look what all I'm doing. Absolutely not. Paul said, if I boast, I boast in the power of Christ in me because of what the Lord has done, not only to save me, but now in saving me, in transforming me, in renewing my mind, in conforming me to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his love that you recognize through me. I am a fragrant aroma of Christ to God. What a beautiful truth. It's by grace, folks. But not only are we saved by grace, we stand in grace. We stand in it. We're changed by God's grace. It's not on the basis of works. God changes us as we yield to him, as we say yes to him. He's the one that transforms us and walks with us. I love the verse in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and following. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, meaning Christ, also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we, what? Stand. 
and we exult in hope of the glory of God. What a beautiful truth. The body of believers, the body uh, of Christ, the church, this community that God has placed us into, this family is a family of grace. And when we begin to understand that we're saved by grace, we're being saved, we stand in the grace of God, there are several things that absolutely take place or should. We accept and value one another. We accept and value one another. It's not on the basis of how much money you have or don't have or what position you have, whether in the body or outside of the body. It doesn't matter. It matters that you are beloved of God. And as a result, because of grace, we can all embrace one another. We can accept and value one another. And we certainly should. We ought to forgive one another. Is there anybody here that has never tripped and stumbled? Oh, so you've had to be forgiven too. That's the point. There's nobody that hasn't needed to be forgiven, and there's nobody that shouldn't be willing to forgive. That's what happens when grace pervades, when Christ is in the midst. We give deference to one another. Oh, you have that need? Let me put you first. You have this issue, let me help you. Because we're more interested in helping one another because it's the grace of Christ, it's what God has done for us that changes our perspective in terms of each and every individual called into community, called into the church. We care for one another. Well, we, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. It's amazing, isn't it? The family of God. We're a family of grace. But secondly, we're a family of faith. We're a family of faith. We learn to trust the Lord in every area of our lives. That word trust, believe, have faith in means to be persuaded by God's word. What God has said is true, that God is able in spite of our inability. God is able, and we trust him. We don't know exactly how this is going to work out. We're not sure exactly where to go. We don't know what the next steps are. That's okay. We trust God because he knows. We're absolutely in lockstep with him. We learn to trust him in every area of our lives. Let me give you a couple things on that. First of all, we learn to follow him. Matthew 10, 38, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What an interesting statement. We need to learn to, to take that cross daily, moment by moment, saying yes to the Lord and follow after him, follow closely with him. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. There's the picture of taking up that cross. There's a picture of following the Lord. And I love the idea of present there because it's aorist tense. It literally means every opportunity that you have, every time, all the time, you present, you present, you present, you present. That person cuts you off going up academy, you present. <laughs> right? They give you the wrong food at the drive-thru, you present. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. You present, you present. Why? Because we are called to follow the Lord. 
Well, not only that, we're called to serve the Lord. When we talk about faith, we talk about being persuaded that what he has said is true and that he's able and we walk with him moment by moment, day by day. The righteous shall walk by faith. Part of that is learning to walk with God in such a way that he begins to change us from the inside out and we begin to serve the Lord. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 and following, we'll get there about 10 years from now. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about this study of Matthew, folks. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and it won't be 10 years, I promise. But we may be raptured before then, right? So we'll... Matthew 20, 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your what? Servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when we learn to walk by faith, I always get the picture in my mind. I was sharing this with Holland this week. We were talking, texting about faith. And I always get this picture of my mind of the Roman soldier, the centurion, all dressed in his garb, kneeling before the Lord, holding his sword up to the Lord. And the idea is that we are taking our will, what we want, when we want it, for whatever reasons we want it for, and we're saying, Lord, it's yours. I'm persuaded. I believe you. I trust you. And you know, the beauty of it is that the Lord doesn't lord over us. But I believe the Lord reaches down and embraces us when we do that. It's a beautiful picture. I was down in Mount Dora, Florida for a little while and Stephanie, we had moved down there. Holland was about two when we got down there and, and uh, Stephanie was pregnant with Jonathan in uh, 99, 99. And so uh, I went on a ski trip with some of the, some, a snow skiing trip with some of the uh, college students in North Carolina, blew out my knee. Long story short, I had to have surgery. I had to have ACL replacement. What started in high school got finished off on a ski trip in North Carolina. Man, oh man. And so um, Steph and I were kind of in an interesting place. You know, she walking around, just trying to, you know, we had to have support systems for Jonathan, you know. And, um, and I'm, I'm walking, I got this leg, I've got crutches, you know. <laughs> it was ridiculous. So time for uh, me to have my surgery, and I had my surgery, and I remember Dr. Oliver, I'll never forget him, he was the orthopedic surgeon down there in Florida, neat guy, comes in, he looks at me laying in the bed, and I watched his eyes here, and he went right to Stephanie, and he kind of stopped. He looked back at me, picked up his clipboard, and he said, you're leaving today, not because of you, but because of her. <laughs> So about a week later, I'm still hobbling around, you know, and I'm in pain, and uh, Stephanie goes into labor, and it was early in the morning. We went to the hospital. We we're kind of limping through our, uh, the hospital parking lot to get to the hospital, and Stephanie had the baby, had Jonathan. It was a beautiful moment. We're, we're in our room. She's laying there. She's peaceful. I am laying there, not so much. And uh, the nurse walks in, and the nurse looks at me, uh, looks at Stephanie and says, honey, baby, would you like some ice? 
And Stephanie said, yes, I sure would. It'd be so sweet. And I looked up at the nurse. She didn't even give me a time of day, you know. And I looked up at the nurse. I said, could I please have some too? (laughs) Oh, I tell you all that to tell you, we were in Florida and grass grows. Grass grows in Florida, right? And we had this dear deacon uh, at Florida, First Baptist Mount Dora. uh, Dora. He's since passed on to, to go be with the Lord. Mac, and um, he came to me one day at church, and he said, Eric, uh, who's cutting your grass? I said, well, Mac, I'm not sure uh, what I'm going to do about that. I think I'm going to probably hire somebody in the meantime. He said, no, no, no. He said, I want to do that for you. I said, oh, Mac, you don't have to do that. You don't don't have to. No, it's okay. He said, no, no. The Lord put it on my heart. I want to come alongside of you. You need somebody to do that. I'm a deacon. We serve, and God put this on my heart. I want to help you. And I said, okay, okay. So I'll never forget the one day backing out of the driveway. He had come early in the morning, 95-degree weather, humidity off the chart. He shows up. He's cut my lawn by hand. And I'll never forget pulling out of the driveway And he was by hand snipping all the different weeds around my trees. He was taking better care of my yard than I did. Folks, that put a picture in my mind I'll never forget. When God calls us to serve one another, there's a sacrifice in the midst of it. But he didn't complain one time. Mac never said a word negatively. He never said, oh my goodness, Eric, how, how is it that you don't take care of this yard? He never said that. He said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of this. And he did it as unto the Lord. And he made an eternal imprint in my mind. When we talk about the body of Christ, folks, we talk about community. We talk about walking by faith. We talk about God changing us and the life of Christ being revealed through us. And service begins to take place where one towards one another. We begin to look at the needs of one another and we begin to say, oh, how can I help you? God's called me to come alongside. He revealed your need to me and therefore he is calling me into what it is that I can do to be of service to you and serve you. That's the issue. We are a family of faith. We follow God and we serve. We're also a family of hope. A family of hope. Hope is just future faith. It's something that hasn't quite happened yet, but we know it's going to, and we know it's a fact. It's a fact. We can count on it. We can bank on it. Heaven is our home. That's a fact. Why? Because God said it. And so hope begins to help us put priorities in place here. Hope begins to direct us in such a way that as we're walking with the Lord, we begin to realize that's my home, therefore this doesn't matter any longer. I don't need to get caught up in there because it's not eternal. This is eternal. And as a result, it begins to guide us and steer us. We're a family of hope. We breathe hope. Hope comes out of all of us in such a way that the world who has no hope begins to look at us and say, what is this hope that you've got? What is this hope you've got? And at that moment, we have an opportunity to give an account for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We have hope. Let me just give you a couple thoughts on that. First of all, we're protected by hope. We're protected by hope. First, First Thessalonians 5.8. Paul says, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
Say outside, it's a helmet, it's a protection. When all the fiery darts come at us, when people begin to tell us something that's not true about who we are because we believe what the word of God has to say about what God says about us, hope, that assurance of what God has told us, that we are his children, that we're headed to heaven, that we're beloved, hope begins to be a protection for us. But not only that, it's an assurance. It's an assurance. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the persuasion of things not yet seen. So when we go through life, there's a lot of difficulties, aren't there? There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of things that will distract our attention from where we're truly going. And hope, the assurance of what we haven't yet seen, begins to help us to continue to move forward in Christ and to walk with him and trust him. We have future faith. We know what God has said. And as a result, it begins to prioritize our life here. We begin to examine what's eternal versus what's temporal. What's really important, folks? What am I going to spend my time in heaven doing versus what am I spending my time here? Hope begins not only to protect us, but it assures us when we go through the challenges and the difficulties. In Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and following, says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Oh, can you think about heaven? When we begin to talk about our assurance, hey, Jesus Christ said that if I believe in him, I will be saved. That's done. It's finished. Praise God. I know where I'm headed. And as a result, I have an assurance that even when I blow it, even when I trip and stumble, or somebody says something against me, whatever it may be, whatever the circumstances may be that take place, I know what God has said. And as a result, I can be assured in Christ because of all that he's done for me. I can take hope in that. I can believe that. Well, we're a family of hope. We're also a family of love. Family of love. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and following says, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, the family, the community, the church, the body of Christ, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Oh, that's a beautiful picture, folks. Everybody is important to the body. Not everybody's a hand, not everybody's a foot. But when we begin to yield to the Lord Jesus Christ and say yes to him, God begins to equip us. He fits us into the body in the very specific way that he knows alone how to do. And every part is important. All you got to do is stub your toe to figure out whether that pinky toe is important. Right? You ever watch? Woke up in the middle of the night and bam, it's or jump around, man, it hurts. All of a sudden you realize, wow, that pinky toe, man, that thing hurts. Right? Blow out an ACL. I never saw my ACL. But when it didn't work, <laughs> my whole body was in pain. Right? We're all important. 
And as each and every one of us yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has a way of fitting us all together. And what does he say? The body begins to build itself up in love, in love, God's love. God's nature, his character is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, for God is love. Or 1 John 4, 16, God is love. A God is agape love, perfect love. And his actions always express Love. Why? Because he is love. That's who he is. We see him act in love. How? Because God revealed her. He showed us his love by coming to this earth to go to the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and following, take time to read that this week perhaps, but he humbled himself. And what did he do? Why did he do it? He went to the cross. Why? Because he loves us. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He left heaven in order to go to a cross to show us that he loves us. Love, perfect love, God's love. Romans 5.8 says it well, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. What an amazing picture. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this. How do we know love? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ, family of love, a community of love. Well, God's love in and through us not only is something that begins to work in a way that's transformative within us, but then begins to empower us to serve one another, fits us together into the body, and then begins to build the body up. But it also is our testimony. It's also how we're known into the world And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and following, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Wow, what a beautiful truth. And the thing is, folks, it's not something that we produce. You know, we don't wake up one day and say, well, I've been called into this new community called the church, and Got a bunch of new brothers and sisters, and some of them I kind of like, and some of them I don't know where they came from. So I'm going to avoid those, and I'm going to go over here with these. That's not love. And all of a sudden, we're convicted by that. So we say, I'm going to do better for you, God. I'm going to love more because you told me to do it. So I'm going to go love this group of individuals that, yeah, they're hard for me, but boy, it's a challenge. I'm going to overcome it. No, no, no. What does he say? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. See, God produces love in us. It's actually God's love in us and then through us. God has to change us and transform us, and he's constantly working to conform us to his image. And as we yield to him, God's love begins to transform our hearts first and then begins to flow through us into the lives of other people around us. And so it's not us that are glorified, it's Christ in us that is glorified. That's the issue. When we talk about a community or a family of love, a church of love, what we're talking about is God at work in such a way that individual lives are being transformed and then through those individual lives into the community of believers, into this family of believers that God's love is being revealed, that Christ is being recognized through the attitudes and actions 
through the transformation that's taking place individually as well as corporately. And as a result, what happens is people begin to look at us and they go, you got something we don't. Can you tell me about that? How you love one another. You must be disciples of Christ. We will be known by our love. Love is a decision. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling, folks. The world's turned it into a feeling. That's, it's more than that. It's a decision. It's a direction of the will. There's all kinds of things that destroy community. Destroy community. Sinful flesh patterns, and I won't go into all kinds of stuff. Let me give you just four that we need to guard against. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and 1 Corinthians is an amazing journey of all the different ways in which they were divided. There's quarrels and lawsuits and judging and motive. They had all kinds of things going on in Corinth. There was competition. Competition can absolutely divide a body. Using others for our gain, only one wins. Win at all cost. Folks, that divides a body of believers. That's not the point. We shouldn't be in competition with one another. We ought to support and encourage one another. Comparing, comparing can absolutely divide. Why? Because I set my own standards and then I begin to put you down or judge you based on my standards. You didn't measure up to my standards. And you've created your own standards, so you look down on me because I don't measure up to your standards. Now, I like the Dallas Cowboys, and you like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Reuben, you're, you're wrong, man. I'm, I'm looking, I know they got rid of Des Bryant, but I'm, you know, give me a break. Dallas is better than Pittsburgh. And if we're not careful, that's a silly illustration, but if we're not careful, what we do is we take spiritual things. And I hear it in churches all the time. How many people did you baptize? Good grief. I go to association meetings sometimes, and it hasn't been here, praise the Lord, because John Torrison's wonderful. But I'll tell you, some of the association meetings I've been to with other pastors of other churches, very first question, they don't even bother to say hi. We had 10 baptisms this week. How many did you have? I mean, what does that do? See, folks, this, this is the kind of stuff, we've got to be careful about this kind of stuff because it divides. Count, measuring in order to look good or gain credit. Man, control, manipulate the outcome. Why? Because of fear <laughs> versus working together in freedom. There's all kinds of things on that, and I don't want to get into the trash can. But folks, bottom line is, what do we need to do? We need to guard our flesh. We need to say yes to the Lord. Why? Because we are a family. We are the body of Christ. We are believers. We've been saved by grace. We stand in grace. We walk by faith. We learn to, to trust the Lord and we learn to serve the Lord. We, we walk in hope because of what God has for us. And it begins to prioritize all our activity and the, the things we participate in or don't. It guards us and protects us. But in the midst of that, we also are a family of love. Why? Because God in us begins to transform us as we say yes to him and his love begins to be seen through our lives. And that's how we're known. And we begin to serve one another in love and we begin to build one another up in love and the body of Christ begins to build itself up in love and all of a sudden the world takes notice and says, wow, let me, let me hear about who you worship. And we have the privilege of saying, oh, let me tell you about my Lord. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life, gave his life for me. And he did it for you too. I want you to know Christ. I want you to become a part of the family of God as well.